Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Right, let's go to the Word together. Turn to your neighbour. Give him a high five and say, you need this tonight. Turn to the one on the other side and say, get ready, wake up. Get ready, wake up, because I've got enough energy for all of you. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 says this, from whom the whole family in heaven are. For this reason, about my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God's model for humanity is a family. It's not an organisation. It's not some kind of society. It's definitely not a spiritual club. But God's model for the whole planet is family. He calls His people His family. No wonder then that the enemy, the devil, has so targeted family and distorted what true family, God's original plan, He's distorted what it looks like. And you know, there's a whole lot of studies and I've read a lot of these books. I read one by uh, Barbara Duckworth not that long ago called Grit. And then I've read several other wonderful books about resilience just because it interests me. And I've been amazed how many of them have referenced what they call family of origin resilience theory. Well, actually, most of them now say it's not a theory. But what they say is this, that the family of origin for you, in other words, your upbringing has a huge impact on an individual's resilience. And so I want to talk to you tonight about family, the birthplace of resilience in your life. Now, some of you are going to say, Jeff, uh, like I had someone, uh, a few comments from people saying I did not like last Sunday. One person said, I didn't really enjoy your message at all. Got really quite a bit ticked off uh, and couldn't kind of figure out why. I think, well, they recognise that some parts of family life for them have been anything but a joyous experience. And they said, but you know, I sat there and listened to the message and then realised that every single one of those things applied to me. And so they switched around and started saying, God is talking to me about family and how to do it better. And the reality is whether or not you've grown up with a great family, one that you just love telling the stories, getting together with brothers and sisters, or whether you've kind of got the family, and I've met lots of Christians like this, that have got such uh, tension and pain in the family that, I've met amazingly so many Christians who've got families where one member never talks to another. I've met them where they don't even know where that brother or sister has disappeared to. And can I say, I'm not here to judge that at all. Like, hello. I think every family goes through its difficulties. Every family has challenges. If you are a human and you're a part of a family, you'll probably encounter it. But the good news is that God says, I'm building family the way I intended it to get. Have we got it right yet? Probably not. But we are certainly on the journey to it. And there's all these studies that show that your background really has a big impact on your resilience. Now, I'm not saying that the right environments somehow rather guarantee a resilient life. 
I've met some people that have come from the most unbelievable brokenness. I will never forget uh, speaking to a young lady once whose who's upbringing literally qualified as torture by the United Nations uh, kind of policy on what constitutes the, such a gross violation of human rights that they label it torture. And there she is sitting in my office telling me about her story, telling me about her background. Then I begin to discover not only has she gone to university, no one in her family ever did. Not only has she gone on from that to the career of her choice, nobody ever did. But she had actually become a young West Australian of the year in her category. And yet her family background never would have led itself to that kind of resilience. I've met other people that have grown up in the best families and they just kind of fall apart at a moment's notice. Well, I'm not saying the right environment guarantees a resilient life, but they do make it more likely. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says this, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. There is no verse like this in the rest of the Bible that I know of. Where faith steps out of being an individual's encounter with Christ and becomes something that gets passed down the family line. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. This young man, Timothy, grew up in a home where faith and the expression of it was so powerful that it's almost like he's absorbed it in the home. He's absorbed it from his grandma, absorbed it from his mum. I was, as I mentioned already, at my mother-in-law's funeral service on Friday. I wish you could have been there to be a part of seeing these people. I've done lots of funerals, by the way. I've done, I don't know how many, but lots. And been a part of them and and I've heard lots of people say how wonderful grandma was or granddad was or mum was or dad was. But to hear not just the stories about Mary, my mother-in-law, and, and the generous nature she had and the compassionate heart she had and, and uh, her memoirs reads like, like I said to Rhonda, we have no idea how good we've got it. When you read those memoirs, they're quite something else. But not only that, but to see the kids get up. And then the grandkids get up and then the nieces get up and then all of these relatives get up and testify not only to a wonderful person, but to an example of resilience and faith. And yet I know my mother-in-law, obviously, been my mother-in-law for 40 plus years and I know her well. She talks about, I only discovered that according to her, I was homeless. I never realised that I wore that badge of distinction, you know, uh, but, you know, they talked about the fact in her memoirs that there was I, a homeless young man, because I was living in a caravan down the back of someone's house. And according to her, that qualified as homeless. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of pretty well chuffed about that, quite frankly. I feel like I have joined the brigade of, of people that, you know, now I go, yeah, well, I so, I so identify. But anyway, I better move on quickly on that before I get myself into hot water, but... Uh, you know, she uh, took me in and that place and to hear the kind of impact of all of these people's lives touched by her. 
And yet she went through a nervous breakdown. Her husband was terribly ill at one stage. All the different pressures that can come to bear. They were in the ministry, served as Salvation Army preachers and officers. And yet through all their difficulties, what resilience. I'll never forget her telling me how at the depths of her nervous breakdown, where literally weeks disappeared. And she says the Holy Spirit spoke to her. I'll never forget her telling me this. She said the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, Mary, lie back and float. What a strange thing. But it meant something to her. And so she did lay back in that metaphorically. She said, I allowed the Holy Spirit to carry me. And out of that, the journey back to great and full health, uh, you, you know, became hers. What a powerful thing when you've got that kind of example. Now, listen to me. You mightn't have had that. You might be the only one in your family that believes. You might be the only person in your family that's got even the merest skerrick of faith. But can I say to you, you know, you might have inherited it, but you sure can make sure that somebody inherits it from you. You can make sure that your life goes further. You have no idea who's watching you. You have no idea who's waiting for you to invite them. You have no idea who is around about your life. I've been amazed over the years at the people God has touched through my life that I had no idea about. I've had them come up to me and say, you don't remember me, but I heard you speak. And out of that, you know, now they're serving God in the ministry somewhere else. And it's not because I'm a preacher, but it's because we all get to speak. God gives all of us a platform. And at the funeral on Friday, our eldest daughter, Rebecca, got up and quoted this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. And she's talking about her grandma. And she says this, I learned this from my grandma. It says, only take heed and guard your life diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your mind and heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your children's children. Well, can I say that really spoke to me because I thought of all the things I teach my grandkids. I teach them about how to plant plants. We planted all of our Woolworths little seedlings. I went and got a pawpaw, bought a pawpaw because I said, if you live in Queensland, you've got to have a pawpaw in your yard. It's just a rule. And so I went and bought a pawpaw and got all the seeds, struck them out on paper towel, put them out in the sun, dried them out. And we planted about 20 of them in a pot. And so I've taught my grandkids that. I've taught my grandkids how to make things, fix things. But you know, God says the most important thing you pass on is the stories of resilience, the stories of what God has done. Make sure you rehearse some of those things to the people around about. Come on, listen to me. Most of you here in this room right now, you don't have children. You're not a grandparent. But can I say to you, there's people around about you, still and all. There's a generation waiting to come up Make sure you are passing on the stories of what God does. Let me read to you the story of the lineage of these two men so you get an understanding when I speak about resilience. See, I don't believe in resilience. I don't believe in survival. I don't believe in just kind of hanging on because after all, that's what Christians do. I believe there's a purpose to your life. 
I believe there's something God has for you. And whatever battles you've got to fight in order to continue, trust me, they will be worth it. You have no idea. Joseph did not know that he would save 70 people in the land of Egypt and that out of his commitment to resilience and continuing on, that they would grow to a nation of 3 million people, that God would deliver and cause there to be built this wonderful nation that still exists today. But he had no idea because you never know who's on the other side of your continuing and your resilience. Are you with me here tonight? Because I want you to get this. Otherwise, the world will just suck you in as some kind of, well, you know, let's just you know, live and let live. I don't believe in live and let live. I believe in live and really live in Jesus' Name. Are you with me? So that's why we're going off to Egypt to go and visit a church in the slums because this man's got a passion and a heart out of a very difficult period that happened in his life many years ago. And out of that, I remember sitting in that cafe across in South Perth. I'll never forget the lunch where you said to me, I feel that God has called me to help children that are in need. And so he said, where do I start? And so I gave him the names of a few friends of people that I knew around through Asia. Well, he and Andrea went off on the trip. We walked into one place and that wasn't it. Walked into another place, that wasn't it. Walked into Cambodia and saw a great work being done there by a lady that got saved at one of our worship events. So never think to yourself, if one gets saved or two gets saved or three or four, that somehow or other, well, that's not an impressive number because this one lady, she got saved at one of our worship events. Unbeknownst to us, she'd gone off to Cambodia. Why? God spoke to her. She went off to Cambodia. She's working for the Lutheran church there, if I've got the story right. And anyway, Mark writes him out a check, says, I want to invest in this, still not thinking I've found where I'm meant to be. This will all come back later on. Remember this, it's going to come around back in a circle. But out of that, writes the check, I think it was six to eight weeks later, they returned his check, which was a large one. Returned the check saying, we don't think we ought to continue in that, in that arena, in that space. Mark says, my goodness, maybe that's what we're meant to do. And so Transform Cambodia got started. 12 years later, there's three and a half thousand kids and 9,000 other people that are being discipled out of one person's decision in a worship event, out of one person's decision after a time of great pain. Can I tell you there's 9,000 people that are glad you never quit. There's 9,000 people, three and a half thousand kids, including 150 now, I think it is, that have started university that are really glad that when somebody encountered a difficulty, come on, that they never stopped they kept on going. They kept on believing. Come on, some of you here, maybe you're young and you feel like, oh, it's all against me and it's all uphill. Why don't you say tonight, God, I by your grace am gonna keep on going on. I'm not just gonna hang on and wait. I'm gonna press in. I'm gonna believe. God, I'm gonna do whatever I can do to see you and your destiny for my life fulfilled. So that brings me to the story of these two men. Jonathan Edwards, he was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s in America. He was one of the most respected preachers of his day. He was only 13 years old when he got accepted into Yale University, 13. 
He's obviously pretty bright. Later on went on to become the president of Princeton University. He married his wife, Sarah, in 1727. They were blessed with 11 children. I'm not sure how many people called that a blessing, but he did. (laughs) Every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he'd spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, passed on a great godly legacy to their 11 children. Well, an American educator 150 years after his death called A.E. Winship decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards 150 years after he's gone. They start going through his family tree. Why? I don't know, he just did. His findings are remarkable, especially when they're compared to another man from the same time period known as Max Jukes. I'll come to him in a minute. Jonathan Edwards' legacy in 150 years included one US Vice President, one Dean of a Law School, one Dean of a Medical School, three Senators, three Governors, three Mayors, 13 College Presidents, 30 Judges, 60 Doctors, 65 Professors, 75 Military Officers, 80 uh, Public Office Holders, 100 Lawyers, 100 Clergymen and 285 College Graduates back in the day when that was rare. All of that came out of one man's decision to pursue the things of God for his life. How can this be explained? Edwards was a godly man, writes Winship, but he was also hardworking, intelligent and moral. Furthermore, Winship states, much of the capacity and talent, intensity and character of the more than 1,400 of Edwards' family is due to Mrs. Edwards. What an amazing legacy and impact. Now let's talk about Max Jukes because he lived at exactly the same time. A separate person decided to check out his family tree when they discovered that 42 different men in the New York prison system could be traced back to him. Jonathan Edwards, all these people done all this amazing thing. Well, here's Max Jukes' story. He lived in New York the same period as Edwards. The Duke's family originally was studied by sociologist Richard L. Dugdale in 1877. Duke's descendants included seven murderers, 60 convicted thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and 410 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. Let me ask a question. Who lies on the other side of your persistence and your resilience? Who can tell what impact? You know, maybe the greatest days of your life and mine will be days that I won't even see. Certainly in Jonathan Edwards' life, he saw 11 kids, but he never saw all the people that were going to come out of his line and out of his blessing. Now, maybe your family history didn't build resilience. Here's the good news. You can have a new family with amazing resilience. I don't think that I kind of inherit a lot. You know, I'm thank God for my mum and dad, but gee, I, I believe much of it comes out of the new family that I've gotten to be a part of. Things like coming to church, things like being a part of a service. Listen, so many people, I've seen some Christians go from one church to another looking for the silver bullet for their life. It's most unlikely you'll find it. 
most likely what God will do, the greatest in your life will be what He builds in your life, all right? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, if you want to get an example of the resilience in God's family, He says this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. That's pretty resilient, don't you reckon? That's God saying, you know what? No matter what you're going to face, you'll never face anything greater than the one who's in you. How, how amazing is that? That's pretty powerful resilience. Here's the next one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So if you're born again, something inside of you is greater than anything out there. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So let me talk to you quickly tonight about resilience because I believe resilience comes largely out of two things. Number one, resilience comes from a sense of purpose in life. An inner sense of calling that my life matters. Intrinsic, that means it's just in there and instinctive. You don't have to think about it. I meet people all the time who say when they come to Christ, the first thing they want to know is why am I here? What does God have in store for me? Not because they've heard it preached and taught, but simply because the coming of the Holy Spirit is like the stamp of God that says you matter, your life has got purpose. Now, it doesn't mean you'll be famous, but it never was about fame. It's about significance and significance and fame are incredibly different. You know, have you ever heard some of the stories of the one hit wonders? You know, people that uh, you know, put out a song that went to number one and everybody like, who sings the Macarena anymore unless it's late night at a wedding reception? How's it all even all go, you know? Thing. Don't want me to start that one? It's good because I wouldn't know how to start it anyhow. You know, the chicken dancers survived, but I guarantee none of you here can even tell me who wrote the jolly thing, where it comes. See, there's fame and then there's significance. And I want my life to be significant, not famous. Now, fame came, well, then so what? But... It's not about that. And the first place that resilience springs from is a sense of purpose. Whether you're a Christian or not, by the way, there's a reason for you. And here's the greatest mistake that people make when it comes to purpose. Out of all the things I could tell you and say to you that matter, here's the most important one. Calling is not usually a label. So many people want to go, yeah, but what about, what, what is that? Yeah, but what, define, yeah, but come on, come on. They're looking for a job description. It's seldom a you are here moment. Most often it's a you are headed there journey. Come on. huh? I get out of bed every day with a sense of purpose in my life. And I'd love to tell you that that means every day I just look and I go, wow. Oh, and every day I hear the hallelujah chorus being whispered by the heavenly angels as I gather around my bed. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. That every morning as I wake and open my eyes, I hear the devil say, oh no, he's up again. <laughs> but the reality is some days, some days I just look over and go, it's what time? Are you kidding me? And I'm no different to anybody else here. We're all the same. There isn't any of us that every day feel like, wow, God, 
Oh, you're amazing and so am I. <laughs> most, of us, most of us, we don't get that. Huh? But I've got to be honest, I'll tell you when purpose most has appeared to me. It's when I've wanted to quit. It's when I've wanted to step back, when I want to say, God, enough, enough, enough. And that's when it seems to me, you know, the number of times I used to say to, you know, oh God, I, I, I've had enough. Because I don't think Christian leadership is an easy task. But a number of times I've wanted to just say, oh, I'm out of it. I've done it. I've had enough. I'm tired of it. And then a sense of purpose props up. Huh? There's a reason. Come on. I want you to get this. I pray you will. That there's a reason why you're on the planet. You listen, don't look at your job and go, it's just about that. Don't look at, you know, your sphere of influence and measure how big it is by how many Twitter followers you have or how many Insta followers, how many Facebook likes you get. Who cares? Look at it and go, regardless of what comes around about. I want you to know this. Never think to yourself, I'm too old now. I've passed out of all that. There's no such thing as too old. You know, Abraham was 75 when God called him. Moses was 80 when God called him. David was probably 16. Mary was probably only 16 when the angel appeared. So it's irrespective of age. But there's a reason. I want you to get this because I sometimes we can look at, oh God, you know, there's other people could do this. And he goes, yeah, but no one can do what you can do. A calling will spring out a great sense of purpose. I don't know anyone that's lasted in serving others who doesn't have a sense of vocation. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He's in hospital at the moment. And uh, we got interrupted a couple of times by the nurses coming. I said to him, oh, I could not be a nurse. I thank God. And he said, would you tell them? And he put the phone on the speakerphone. There am I talking to nurses in another hospital in another city other than Perth. And I'm saying to them how amazing they are. And I said, I think nursing is a vacation. It's a calling. It's not a job. And they're all going, oh, wow, thank you. Because, see, they're just going about doing what nurses do. Things I don't want to do and I don't even want to mention. Like, hello. Are you kidding me? But they do it and they call to it and they love it. How brilliant. How brilliant. You can have a sense of purpose in your life regardless of what your job is or even if you don't have one yet. Are you with me? Here's the second one. I won't be long. Famous last words. Here's the second thing that builds resilience in a person's life. Number one is a sense of purpose. But let me just say this again, because so many people don't cultivate that. They're always saying to themselves, oh, you know, well, who cares? Well, what would it matter anyway? And they talk themselves out of purpose all day long. Well, you know, the world wouldn't even matter. If I wasn't here, who'd care? I go, I always feel like slapping people like that. I feel like, how dare you? I feel like, how dare you? You know, I got saved when I was a kid. There's a picture I just got given the painting it's up in my office a painting of a picture theater where a farmer in a town that you know it's such a tiny town that if you went there it's because you were lost and in this tiny little town a farmer called Tom Ely decided he lived a half an hour's drive out of town the days when cars were slow he decided that he wanted to do something for the kids of the community. And he put on a Sunday afternoon kids club. 
And I went along there and sat in those old canvas slingback seats they had in the cinemas in the old days. And he would show slides because I don't know if movies existed back then. We were still colouring in. And, <laughs> and old Tom Ely would get up there and he would, he wasn't a preacher, he was a farmer. But I remember one Sunday afternoon I went home and I said to my mum, I still remember where she was standing in the kitchen. I said, Mum, I gave my heart to Jesus today. And you know what? Maybe what you do will never get worldwide acclaim. But if you'll do with it, please talk up your purpose. Please talk about what you're doing as though it matters. Never just give or serve as though somehow, well, anybody could do this. Well, if I'm not here. Because pretty much if that's the way you treat it, don't be surprised if God doesn't take it off you and give it to someone else. Talk it up. I'm doing a great work, Nehemiah said. He was building a retaining wall. That's what he's building. He's building a retaining wall. He said, I'm doing a great work. Powerful. Here's the second one. is encouragement. Sense of purpose is inner. Encouragement is outer. Proverbs 12 verse 25 says, Anxiety in the heart of a person causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Now, wouldn't it be lovely if every one of us had powerful, prophetic, insightful, godly people around about us who always encouraged us? Amen. How many of you wish you just had a person that encouraged you, just sat beside you? And when you're, when you're down and out, when you're on the street, is that it? Is that the words? When evening comes, something... I will dry your tears, I think. I've totally started this and mashed it. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you. Whose out loud voice was that? Um, that'd be nice. How many people here have ever had someone encourage you and really they meant well? You don't have to leave just because you said that. Yeah, right. How many people here have ever had someone, they were trying to encourage you? I had a phone call from a friend of mine a week or two ago. He thought he's encouraging me and I'm going, thank you, not. <laughs> like, hello, I needed that like another hole in the head. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Job got it from his wife. Job chapter 2, I think it is. And verse 9, this is his wife. When he's going through all his troubles, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> and this is my helpmeet. She's helping. <laughs> like, hello. Have you ever had someone like that going, you know, you know people have got a, a way about it, haven't they? You know, gee, your cooking's getting better. <laughs> it really sucked before, but... <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Or, or when you've got something or other going on, they go, you know, I had a friend that had a condition like that. They end up chopping that whole thing, arm off, it was all gone. And you're going, thank you very much. I am so... And how many people come get me away? Have you ever had someone just, you know, they encourage you, but they were, you know, or they say things like this. Well, it could be worse. Like, what kind of encouragement is that? You know, oh, well, you know, oh, God is testing you. How is that an encouragement? 
Shut up. Seriously, shut up. Seriously, I didn't need that help. Huh? Thank you for stating the obvious. So I say all that to say this, because it'd be lovely if everybody you met said great things to you. Oh, I believe in you. Oh, yes, God's got a great future. By the way, I don't get all bad phone calls. I had a friend of mine ring me up. He said, I've been praying for you. Lives over in New South Wales. I've been praying for you. So that's nice. And then began to prophesy to me about this church and about what was, he had no idea, began to declare to me what was happening and then what God was going to do. I, I said, would you write that down and send it to me? So he wrote it down, sent it off to me an email. I printed it out and stuck it up on the mirror on my ensuite where every morning I see that there and I read it again and again and again because I've learned that if you get encouragement, you should milk that cow dry. <laughs> Amen. Don't let it go back out in the paddock with anything left in it. You get every single, come on, you juice that thing. You get it out of that thing. Amen. As I'm saying, get it out of there, you know. Remember it. Some people remember insults. I remember compliments. Huh? I've got a file of them. Seriously, at the top drawer of my study, I put in there all the things people have said to bless. I've got heaps of them. The ones where people said, you suck, they're in the bin. I don't even remember them. I've kept the other ones. I've kept the good ones. In there is the little, uh, uh, I think it's a dollar or two dollar coin from a little English girl who was visiting Australia, staying with family. And she wrote on a piece of cardboard, stuck this coin on it and said, I want to give this to the church to say thank you. Oh, that one went in there. I must confess, I never put the $2 in the offering. I kept it in my top drawer. I never spent it either though. I kept it there to remind me of the encouragement that somebody gave. But you know, sometimes you've got to become your own encourager because there's nobody else. And isn't it weird in this country anyhow, we're all taught to, you know, you know don't talk good about yourself. <laughs> Red ink, mate. You're so full of yourself. You can hardly move. And we're taught to put ourselves down. And yet this is what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 30. It says this, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself. David encouraged himself. Let me give you quickly and then I'm finished. How to encourage yourself? Because it's easy to say that. But most of us think you go fourth, go fifth. Anybody want to go sixth? Malcolm, you want to join the creative arts team? Okay, <clears throat> stay with me a minute. It's easy to say you should encourage yourself, but a lot of people go, Pastor, I'm going to feel weird. Oh, what do I do? And so we sit there like this, you know, trying to think positive thoughts. Gone, why don't I feel any better? Oh, gone. I think I'll just stay in bed today. I don't think I'll get up. How do you encourage yourself? Here's five things quickly. Number one, speak God's abiding presence. I've done all these, by the way. It's how come I can write them down so fast? I've done all these. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I've reminded God of that a million times. Some scriptures I've worn to bits. I just keep on telling God, you said you'd never leave me. You said you'd never forsake me. That means you've got to still be with me. That means no matter what it looks like, you're helping me. That means no matter what other people are saying, you're there. Amen. And so I declare that. 
And there's been sometimes I've got to be honest, when I've had to get before God and go, you know what? Today the project is Jeff. Today the prayer project is not all the starving hordes and not all the world peace and not all the people that need God. Today I need God. And I'm going to start with me. Come on. I'm going to start with me. And I start by saying, God, you're with me. Because that builds resilience. If God is with me, who can be against me? Amen. You're with me. When I was going through chemo, God, you're with me. You're with me in this journey. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Verse 4. Because you are with me. You are with me. You're with me, God. It doesn't look like you're with me. It looks like you forgot my address, but you're with me. Because I'm, I'm going to encourage myself. Amen. Secondly, speak your calling. I'm called now. I didn't say speak your label. You know, in every one of Paul's epistles, every single one he wrote, he writes this, Paul called to be an apostle. Do you know why? Not because he needed a badge. He'd founded every one of the churches he wrote to. They all knew who he was. I believe it's because Paul wanted to keep on saying, you know what? I'm on a mission from God. I'm here to do something great. Speak your calling. God, I'm called. Are you a mum? God, you called me to be a mum. Are you a dad? God, you called me to be a dad. God, you called me to serve in this area of ministry. You called me to follow you. God, I'm called to walk after you. Here's number three. Speak the promises of God. If you've never read them, you probably won't speak them. That's why read the Bible. Seriously, read the Bible. Like, hello, read the Bible, for goodness sake. Read the Bible. I'm amazed how many Christians never read the Bible. They just listen to preaching about the Bible. They read books about the Bible. But you've got to read the Bible. I've been reading it through the whole Bible every year for I think this is the eighth or ninth year. And I'm always amazed how many times I read it and go, it still says something fresh all the time. Amen. Speak the promises of God. Number four. Speak your vision. If you want to encourage yourself, this is what I'm, I cannot tell you the number of times I have replayed in my mind and I have spoken out what God said about us and what God said about this church and about what He was going to do. Amen. Builds resilience. There was a time once when I really wanted to quit. I told my wife I was going to do it. She said, you can't. I said, yes, I can. She said, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. She said, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. She said, no, you can't. I said, why not? She said, because you haven't done what God sent you here to do. And I thought about that for a minute. I thought, oh, she's right. <laughs> so I stopped quitting. Or well, thinking about it. Speak your vision. Here's the fifth thing. If you want to build a resilient life, get this one. It's so powerful. It's not like any of the other ones. Fifth one is encourage others. Are you a good encourager of others? Or are you just somebody who regurgitates all the nonsense that appears on the news feed. Not against the news, be informed. But some people, that's their whole conversation is all the rubbish going on around the universe. Goodness gracious me. Let's be better than that. Let's be encouraging other people. I pray you will be a great encourager. Can I tell you this? If you're an encourager of others, you'll always have friends. Not because you say what people want to hear, but because you speak to the heart. You let people know. Proverbs 11 verse 25 says, He who refreshes others will also be refreshed. Amen. I wish I could tell you that, you know, I always feel so high, and you know, because I'm serving the most high. And because, uh, uh, you know, I'm just always feeling up there with Jesus and hallelujah and beautiful. But sometimes I'm not. 
And when I'm not, they're the very times I need to be an encourager. Lots of people want to get it, but you've got to become a giver of it. Amen? And that's really not hard. You can do that in your workplace. Go up and tell someone, hey, you're great. I really loved what you did there. Thank you. I've started, because it's so easy to complain about everybody, people who do bad things. So I've started writing to all the people who do good things, who served me well, who went home in their business. So I ring up the manager and I say, can I just tell you about that person and what they did for me and how well they represented you? And usually they go, really? <laughs> Seriously. Because what they're used to is a complaint. And when you start to encourage, they go, huh? Wow. Thank you for that. Become an encourager of others. Well, I pray you'll be a resilient person in every way in your life. In the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. We didn't come here, Lord, just to have a church service. We came here so you could speak to us. We came here, Lord, so that you could take away some of the burdens that people have been carrying. Some of the stuff that's weighed us down. And help us, Lord, to walk free of it. You know, you can't be resilient if you're carrying all the load of yesterday. I don't know who you are here, but there's some people here and, you know, the reality is you're carrying all the burdens out of mistakes of the past. They're still there. They still keep talking to you. And you know what I found out? I found all the giants will talk to you until you stand up and talk to them. It says about Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 that he came out every day and he spoke to the people, telling them how little they were and how pathetic they were. And he did it every day for 40 days until one person stood up and said, let me tell you. Come on, listen to me. There's a word from God for somebody here tonight. And you know that thing out of your past, that mistake, that misstep, the things that went on, they're all going to keep talking to you until you stand up and say, let me tell you. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about His promises. Let me tell you about my calling. Let me tell you about my vision. If you will do that, speak to that in Jesus' Name. Some of you hear the grief or the sense of loss, the thing that was done to you. We come to church for the Holy Spirit to perform open heart surgery for Him to come and touch us. Let's all stand together. Lord, we come to Your altar tonight so You can alter us. Lord, we all need it, every single one of us. Here we lay our burdens down. At the cross, we come before the place where You have brought your salvation and deliverance to humanity. God, we just believe tonight that you are going to help each one of us step out of whatever it is. I don't know who you are. I'm not really even needing to know who you are, but God knows who you are and so do you. Come on, that failed relationship that you still keep on beating yourself up over. Oh, what if and wow, why? Well, how about tonight you say, Jesus, I'm letting that go. Jesus, I'm letting that go. Jesus, I'm not going to let that be dominating my life. 
that thing that you did that maybe you got convicted of. I don't know, maybe, you know, there's a, a, a record of you. But can I tell you, the only record God keeps of you is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the only record He writes about you. Why don't you decide to receive that one tonight in Jesus' name? Let God, come on. I feel like right now, even while I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is just working on people, just right where you are, saying, come on, let it go. Come on, let it go. Come on, let it go. Don't let that be the thing that keeps talking to you. Don't let that be the thing that dominates the conversation for the rest of your days. You've argued with it long enough. Yeah, but, and yes, and I should, I know. Just say tonight's the end of it. I stop it tonight. I'm walking with Jesus from this point on. I'm walking with Jesus from this day on. I let it go. I let it go. Let the chains be broken in the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on right now, right where you are. Just say, Lord, I'm letting it go. God, I'm not going to allow that thing to keep on determining what my future looks like just because it was in my past and because it hurt and because it mattered, because I hurt others. Decide tonight I'm going to let that thing go. In the name of Jesus. Right where you are, you can make an altar with God. Come on. I'm just still staying in this a minute because I just know there's people here and the wrestling's going on. You're going, yeah, well, but don't argue. You can't win an argument with God. Let's just sing it. I'll come to the altar. I'll come to the altar. Come on. Right where you are, let's not miss a holy moment with the Holy Spirit out of a rush to get somewhere. Let's take a minute. Let Him speak to you. Right where you are, come on. Wherever you are, I know that God is dealing with I know that I know that He's dealing with people right where you are. The Father's heart. Open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, come to the altar.
The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ I remember hearing a preacher years and years ago Never forgot it, he said that Quoted the scripture where it talks about God casting our sins into the sea of His forgetfulness. And he said this, and he said, and God posts a sign over that fishing spot, over that sea of forgetfulness and says, no fishing. Don't let the enemy keep going back there, dragging that thing back up in your life in Jesus' name. Don't let the enemy keep coming back and reminding you about your past. Father, we pray tonight for each person. Thank You for Your calling to us. That in a sense, Lord, that our life matters. No wonder the devil tries so hard to lock us back into our past when we have such a great future. So I pray, God, that You'll help us build that in our life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go out of here and say, I'm going to encourage myself and I'm going to encourage others around about me, that we in refreshing others, we'll get refreshed ourselves. Thank you for that. Just while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I don't know you're all here. I never take it for granted that everybody is a Christian, everybody's walking with God. I don't know if you are or you aren't. I do know that you can. I do know that all it takes is a yes. It's as simple as that. I think about this a lot. Because, you know, when I gave my heart to Jesus, really, I don't know, the only thing I could give Him was my yes. I didn't have anything else worth giving. I'd already messed up most everything else. So I'm not saying I was terrible, but you know what I mean. We've all fallen short of what we could be and ought to be. And yet Jesus just simply waits and says, if you give me a yes, I'll come into your life. I'll change you. I do not know of a greater thing on planet earth. I do not know of a greater thing, but this, that the God of the universe says, I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you in relationship, not religion. Religion or surrounded with rules and all kinds of rituals and stuff. But relationship is just closeness for you. God wants to bring that to you. If you're here tonight, you say to me, Jeff, I don't know Jesus like that. Or, uh, Jeff, I used to walk with God. I lost my way. Would you pray with me tonight? Help me to say yes again to Christ. I'd love to do that for you. I don't know you. But if you want to say that tonight, why don't you just, so I know I'm praying for you, just wherever you are, hands are bowed, eyes are closed. Just slip your hand up so I can see it. and then Put it back down again. I'd love to pray with you tonight, wherever you are. Thank you. You can put it back down. Is anybody else just wherever you are? Say, that's me. People do this all the time in our church. All the time. And you know, I believe that when they do, something profound and supernatural takes place in the name of Jesus. I believe something great happens. Is there anybody else before we pray? Then we're going to pray together. And I'd love it if lots of you here would say this prayer along with that person just to encourage them. Because this prayer invites Jesus into their life. Most of us here would go, I've done that. But isn't it great that we can encourage somebody else? I love this. I love saying the prayer. I've said it several times a Sunday, probably for don't know how many years. I love it still. I love saying it. It renews it all afresh for me. 
Say this after me, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me because I matter to you. I want you in my life. I want your forgiveness. I want your peace. Help me, Jesus. Walk with me. Amen. Amen. You don't need to pray this, but I'm praying it for that person, for anybody else that's listening. Maybe got the podcast and where you are right now, in that spot, you're crying out to God and saying, God, would you save me? God, I need you. Would you help me? Father, I pray for them tonight that their yes opens the door to a transformed life, a life of purpose, a life of strength, a life of knowing God. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give those people a big hand. Say, hey. Awesome. How good is that? How good is that? How good is that? You know, uh, Foe, if, if you don't want to come just quickly, Foe and David, now come on in here just a second if you can. I don't know. I'm just going to make this open to people that if you, we're going to dismiss the service in a minute and there's a savoury grazing table out there along with tea, coffee and hot chocolate to drink. Anyway, that's out there. It's free. So you get to kind of hang around and meet some of the other cool people that love God. And we'd love you to stay and do that. If you don't have a Bible, go see them at the Connect Hub. They'll give you a Bible. Uh, if you've got questions, go ask them. They'll help you. But I wondered whether some of you here in this place, maybe, you know, when I was talking earlier about, some of you here go, I have no idea what he was going on about. That's because it wasn't for you. But if it spoke to you, and you go, I'm one of those people, and I want to actually get someone to pray with me before I leave. I'd love you to come this man this man who are both part of our pastoral team here at uh, Metro Church they'd love to spend a few minutes praying with you I believe that God can do something great in your life I really do and I'm glad that you are here bring someone next Sunday night this man you're preaching next Sunday night isn't that right wow and all I'm going to have to look at is the pyramids when I could be looking at you huh I know where, well, I know where I'd rather be. I'd rather be in the right place. That's for sure. But I know these men are men of God. And I know that if they pray with you, God will move in your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your hand on us. Thank you for another amazing time in your presence. You moving, you transforming lives, you reaching people. We're so glad for that. Fathers, we leave here and go to our work life and our home life and our social life. Lord, use us to encourage somebody. Build resilience in our life for all the people that matter on the other side of it. In Jesus' name, Amen.